it breaks my heart because I put in, you know, we all put in hours into building our tech platform. But at the end of the day, they don't know. Right. And then that's that's okay. Their prerogative is to find the value provided to them. They don't really mind how Right? you go to a supermarket, you go to, you know, Ariat. You don't know how the boots got there. You don't know how the saddles got there. Could take an area a thousand hours, six trucks, and you know, transcontinental. No one really minds that. It's only important that it's right there in front of you, ready for sale. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Pegasus Equine Entrepreneurs. Today, we are chatting with Nick Borden, CEO and founder of Artemis Horsematch, a technology company in the equestrian industry that you can find at www.artemishorsematch.com. Artemis is spelled A-R-T-E-M-I-S, horsematch.com. Now, Artemis is a simple but pure technology platform. Essentially, you create an account, list out the preferences for what sort of horses you are looking to buy, and then sit back and wait while Artemis will send you emails about the horses that match your description daily. The emphasis here being on email. No more scrolling through websites, Facebook groups, Tinder for horses, apps, etc. Instead, just tell Artemis what you want once and sit back and wait for the horse matches to be sent straight to the mail application on your phone. It's that simple. Right, so now that we have that context, what is today's pod really about? Today's pod is mostly about how technology entrepreneurs in the equestrian space are thinking about the future of the industry and what they are doing now to prepare the industry for said future. In no specific order, the topics we will go through in this podcast today include one, Nick's entrepreneurial journey, two, why the equestrian industry is so far behind when it comes to technology as we all know it is, three, some of the common technology problems the equestrian industry faces currently and why those problems are persisting, And four, the trials and tribulations of being a technology entrepreneur in an industry that inherently is trying to get away from technology and instead spend more time outside with the horses they love. So if those sounds like questions you've asked yourself before or experiences you've personally had or business problems you've tried to overcome, then this will be the perfect podcast for you. If you want to reach out to Nick to learn more about his services in Artemis Horsematch, you can reach out to him at his Pegasus page that will be linked to in the show notes. One quick bit of admin before we get started. If you are listening to this and you are an equine entrepreneur and you want to share your story with our audience, then please do reach out to us and join us on this podcast. To do so, head over to www.thepegasus.app slash podcast to register. And if you're going to be in Kentucky start of October for Equitana, please come find us and say hello as we would love to meet you all and hear your feedback on both the podcast and the platform. And we will be handing out free fudge. So if you don't want to talk to us, you don't think we're special and you have no feedback, at least come over and just get yourself some free fudge. All right. With all that said, let's jump into today's Equine Entrepreneurs podcast with Nick Borden from Artemis Horsematch. Are you guys going to the Equitana conference? Yes, as, are, officially yeah. as of yesterday. I was going to ask you that. So you will be there. Oh, yes. fabulous. Okay. Is this your first time going? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I went, Um, gosh, 15 years ago, maybe longer than that when I was a kid and my mom really liked it and it was at like a convention center. Now it seems to be a completely different format outside at the horse park, which is <laughs> stellar. Have you been to the horse park before? No, not really. I mean, Artemis didn't exist two years ago, and I wanted to go to Equitana last year, but considering yeah. the set were as they were. Um, so I'm excited to go there um, and just to have more 
shows underneath my belt. I'll be looking forward to visit your guys' booth. That sounds like, uh, did you get the inside or the outside location? Outside. Yeah, we were told that going toward, so we're right by the, right across from Ariad and Dewberry by Rolex, I believe, the Rolex Stadium. So we were told that that's where, as you said, like where the people are moving toward. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what your company does? Sure. So um, thanks for having me on the podcast, Sam and Jen. I'm really excited. Um, my name is Nicholas Borden. I'm the founder of Artemis Horse Match. It is the first proactive email matchmaking service for riders. Buyers could go in, add a request as saying, I would like to find a horse to purchase. Then Artemis sends you private, discreet emails right to your inbox of horses that match. No more looking on Facebook. You don't have to spend eight hours a day on it. So that's what I do. Right. And and how and how did this come about? Like how did you how did this come about in terms of where you decided to go down this path of doing the email and doing it private? And what was the uh, conversations you had that led you to pursuing this course of action? Great question. Okay, so I'm going to decouple that into into two points. So initially, the idea came about about a year and a half ago when several of my equestrian friends stated that the purchase process for horses online is terrible, it's cumbersome, and there's little to no customer service, let alone a quality check. They're all these fragmented silos. So within that, um, I was rec- I was asked to build a solution for them. And in that, it came to the point of saying, this could be more of a business, this process is a lot easier. Now, going back to how did it distill down to the email portion, Artemis at the time built to become more of a more of a robust platform. But after talking to, and this was with any idea, um, I spoke to a hundred different customers and tried to distill the problem into certain pain points. And then at the end of talking to a hundred or so potential customers, the new solution that came about was, you know, whether it be another app or another solution that I build towards that, you build towards the data. And after refining that process about three to four times, it's come down into email. And exclusively, the reason I found is in my case, um, it was more for you build towards customer behavior, not necessarily building towards the problem. So that's why Artemis Horse Match found that having horses sent to your email is much easier for the customer to go in and say, I would like to have that in my inbox. I'll review it after a training session. Once I'm done with a client, I'll have that in my back pocket and I could forward that over to a vet. So that that's how it came about in a nutshell. Yeah. So, so did people send, so you had friends that came to you and, and they were equestrians, I'm assuming. So they were going through the horse purchasing process and they're like, Nick, this is terrible. Fix me something or make me something that fixes this problem. Why do they go to you specifically? Are you a software engineer by trade? So I'm I'm very familiar with creating software. At the time in college, I was consulting with several businesses when they were wanting to make their own software products. So whether it be graduate students, alum, or this is while I was at Babson College. Um, so they were already well aware. And I've already been teaching students. I do enjoy teaching people how to solve the problem and build towards the customer, not necessarily towards what they think the customer wants. Do radically different things. So when I was I was working on a previous startup at the time, so that's why they reached out to me and they said, you're much better with tech. Could you create us a solution? And I'm always up for a puzzle. So I said, sure, why not? Um, so that's <laughs> how they came up to me and they're like, did you fix it? I'm like, it took me a week, but yes, what do you think? And it just kind of rolled down from there. 
So you're like, right. oh, right. yeah. And and so so is it a so is it a website and or an app? So Artemis Horse Match today is a website where you could go in. You could submit through our forms the horse you're interested in purchasing, and as well as listing your horse for free on the platform. And then it resides the value add in the service resides in the inbox. So a user will submit their search request looking for, you know, a 16 hand Oldenburg mare, and they will be emails received. that would say, here's the match. Here's the seller's information. You could contact them directly. There's no middleman approaches just saying, here's a service. You could save time. And this isn't a, you know, a scam listing from Bangladesh or whatever country you find it. And so it makes the process a lot easier and it just adds to their due diligence process. It doesn't replace it. Not yet. Right. right and right. how soon after when they've submitted that information, that criteria on Artemis, do they receive that email? Yeah. So I've had it actually about two days ago. Somebody sent a match request and they said, hey, I just submitted. Um, let me know. And about five hours later, I gave them two matches to them. I said, here it is. What do you like? Um and they were they're pretty content with the how quick the response is and like wow you found me a you know a horse that literally matched my four main criteria because it depends right sometimes you could add in as many as I mean right now it's ten different criteria but it's expanding daily and so their criteria was more broad so that was a lot easier to give them some options um, so it could go pretty quickly um, and then when it comes to having horses added to the platform it's great because they add it. For free, so they get to pay for performance and for results as opposed to front loading and a promise. So right. it's just two different approaches, and I found that for me, it was better to do it that way. So it could be very quick. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it's a curated horse matching. Like I thought of at first when I thought horse match, I almost thought Tinder for horses, where yeah. like you're swiping. <laughs> but this, it's like they want this very specific kind of horse, and it sounds like you can go and really curate and find and source those horses, yeah. and then provide a report directly to them. Which yeah. I can see a it's lot of more, benefit. From. It's more e harmony than Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great comparison, Sam. Yeah, and, and yeah. Right, it's it's. When the idea was coming about and having it distilled from the customers, they said, I would like to have more of a focus on the sale horse process. Um, and I said, okay, within my customers said, that's what they, they suggested. And I was looking at the Tinder approach. I found that if, as an entrepreneur, if I were to make a Tinder-like approach, the supposition is that a user on Tinder has one type. Right? They have generally what they're looking for and doesn't really change. Whereas you know, horse buyers and sellers have several types of horses are looking for. So it would be hard to make sure that they're getting a curated response. And once you swipe left, you really don't get that match. That that won't come up again. So that was part of the reason when when we are creating the email matchmaking service is that a person can add as many horse requests as they like and they will get matches specific to that request, you know, depending if they're looking for an investment horse, a heart horse or what have you. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the uh, the friends that uh, originally approached you about this and you consulted with as you figured out how to solve the problem, uh, are they all um, like, were they friends from university? Like, how did you come in contact with them? Yeah. So it's either friends from back home here in Florida or at university. Others have been in the, you know, their disciplines were more of English and several in polo. So it was good to see from a cross discipline perspective what are the common issues that reside in the purchasing process of horses and more so the qualification. So they wanted to have, 
an easier way to spend more time on their horse and less time online to have these are the matches. I could look at this. I could send it to a vet to you know examine the video or send it to a trainer. Um, and it was good to see that cross-disciplinary application because that's a roadmap for Artemis to say, if today is English, then I suppose tomorrow will be Western and Polo. So we're excited to continue that. And right now we have horses is added in a variety of disciplines focused on English and will expand to Western. So, yes. Yeah. So that that's an interesting topic too. So what, what were some of those similar issues across disciplines? Cause that's someone, that's one of the things that we've been fascinated with at Pegasus is the more we talk to different disciplines, the more we find out like, wow, you all have similar challenges. Maybe we should talk to each other about it. And so, <laughs> so I'm curious what your, uh, what your experience was when you were talking to the different disciplines, like what was that underlying theme of Nick, we really need this to be solved in Artemis. Hey, are you an equestrian event organizer looking to put on your next clinic or schooling show? Pegasus is about to release its new event management system, which is a modern platform that makes it easy to accept entry registrations, receive digital signatures for your event paperwork, as well as manage the logistics and scheduling of your event. You can even digitally showcase your vendors and sponsors so that brands have much better visibility than the traditional logo on a fence. Pegasus has made it easy to run an event from start to finish with features designed for everyone involved, especially the riders, who can now easily register and receive real-time updates. Gone are the days of running your event through Facebook or tech from the 90s. Check out the launch of the Pegasus event management system at www.thepegasus.app. That is www.thepegasus.app. Yes. So yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So when I was talking to several disciplines, it's, you have to, what, what I found, I had to separate between what is a cultural question or what is a behavior based on culture in that discipline or what is a true operations constraint. So for example, when I was talking to some polo players, they're talking about, it is difficult to find polo ponies that are vetted, but granted they're purchasing and they have, you know, flights full of these ponies, you know, just for one team. So they have a different uh, buying approach, but I found that when talking with them and others, the same issue occurs where it's time. They don't have a lot of time and they would like to have quality packaged for them nicely and have that customer service to, to take care of them and walk them through um, finding the horses that match the description. So it was a time constraint. It was a quality demand and it was also ease of use. So having an email and something comfortable that they don't really have to unveil their phone number or their email um, was something nice. And the discretion is actually was a huge pain point between the disciplines. Um, oddly enough, if you were to be a, um, a you know very excited horse buyer, or you just bought a Grand Prix horse and you said, oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. Uh, and then you ride the horse and it's just it's just not a good match. So now you're kind of like in an odd position where we found that some people are like, ooh, I kind of need to sell that now. I, I just posted on Facebook that I was so excited, but it, I can't ride it well. Or vice versa, the horse like the horse doesn't like the the rider. So having discrete pocket listings was another value add for our, you know, between disciplines to say, we can make sure that that horse is sold um, privately and making sure that you're getting matched to customers who are interested in that. So nobody yeah. wastes time. So, 
No, it's super interesting. And I've actually seen, I hadn't really thought about it until you just brought this up on the, just being discreet, but I've also noticed on Facebook, everything's public. And of course, as you've seen, I'm sure there are thousands of different Facebook groups with horses for sale. And I've actually seen people who I know are historically really good at sourcing horses, buying them, and then turning them for a profit because they are, I mean, they're, they're just, they're so good at their job and they know what they're looking for much more so say than I would, but mm-hmm. I will see them comment on a horse ad and say, and have an interest in that horse. And so I'm not interested in, in buying a horse right now, but if I was, I would try to get that horse too, because I see that they see something. So it's mm-hmm. almost like, um, like Bob Baffert, you know, he, he's not the guy in the, uh, not Bob, um, any, any, any prominent, uh, racehorse owner in a, in an auction, they're not the ones who are actively, you know, buying and, and, um, buying horses where everyone else can see, they want it to be very discreet. They don't want, they don't want other people to see what they see so that they can get the horse and then turn a profit, et cetera. But, um, I can see the whole component of being discreet, being a very sought after feature of Artemis. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and especially looking on the Facebook pages, I mean, you could just run through their comments and you'll see the same questions, price, video, price, please PM video. Can you send this over to me? Is this still available? It's the same question. So, and it, in terms of discretion, although the courses are public, the prices are not, and you still have to invest time. And I'm sure, you know, the industry has been doing, you know, fairly well on Facebook, but you're seeing Facebook censor the equine industry across the board. Yeah. Even um, even with the photographers I work with, they're saying, you know, Nick, I'm, I'm posting my services, my pictures online saying, hey, I took this picture for portraiture and Facebook censors it. And it is a huge problem for small business owners when they're trying to market to the equine industry. The only workaround I have found, um, I mean, you can even see in the Facebook pages where they're making their own lingo, right? Where they're saying, use these emojis or use, you know, don't list price, just list, you know, five figures, six figures. Um, but when it comes to images on Facebook, it's it's quite difficult to accurately market without having it censored and then appeal it. You don't you don't have time. It's it just seems odd to me that the biggest communication center that that we all have access to is censoring specifically our industry. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and everyone uses it. You're like, really? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And I would imagine for the buyer too to have to continuously reply with all with the same information for every single inbound because they can't just post it on a post because it'll get taken down and or they'll be blocked on Facebook. So from the buyer's perspective too, I can see that being just an exhausting process. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, and, and 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 on on that note, like it's it's not like it, it is a problem of like you might be a single individual selling a horse and you know and having Facebook censor your post you know is an inconvenience. But we have um we have users on Pegasus who have come and built out their business profile and their uh, their personal profile on Pegasus away from Facebook simply because like when they had one of their um posts uh, taken down they also had their account blocked. Because like it was like you, like as in your your account has been taken down because you have consistently post breached our policies and posted horses for sale etc. And for a lot of these people, when that happens, like and these are these are the feedback we're getting from our users is that like that's their livelihood. Like they've spent years building up their Facebook 
a business page and they have spent years following, building up their, like their followers, et cetera. And the moment that that happens to them, they're like, shit, like, I don't know how to get my horses out there for sale anymore. It's like, yeah. it's that my entire lifeline was just gone because they've invested in an infrastructure that has the power of God over them and can basically turn their business off overnight, which for a lot of people, like if you, like, if they don't, if you don't have any redundancy in that, if you don't have a secondary way of doing it, you even build a secondary audience somewhere else, like on Instagram, et cetera, or, you know, on Pegasus, then like you might not be able to pay the bills next month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where I see, you know, Pegasus playing a, a big value add by having that, that place to go to and say, there's no world where the content for equestrians will be censored because Facebook inherently is ignoring the context for which equestrians are posting content. And like you said, it's literally, it's not a matter of an if, it's a when that the equine industry will get crippled on Facebook and they're gonna have to find a place. But it's advantageous for both of our businesses to have a safety net for our customers and say, you could go on here and the business will continue. You know, it's a mass exodus out of Facebook. And so, but I agree, it, it is it is terrifying to go online and say, my main funnel has vanished. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no. yeah. That is yeah. a very scary thought that people don't want to think about. <laughs> but it, it's yeah. yeah, and, and as, as as I'm sure you've experienced, like with building your company and building, you know, branding and a follower base either on your Facebook page or on your Instagram account, like it takes a lot of time and a lot of hard work to build that following back up. So even if like your account gets banned and then you just create a new page, you can't just it's not, it's not like a mobile phone where you change phones and you transfer your contacts from one phone to the other to get back that following base would take years. And therefore, and if, and if you, and if, you know, most people who sell horses operate off the function of, well, I'm going to have one horse. And if I have 10,000 followers and I post it, then I'm guaranteed I'm going to get at least 10 buyers who are interested buyers. Those 10 interested buyers give me the ability to negotiate the price and upsell it so I can get a bigger profit. So if that just disappears and you don't have those numbers to make those economics work, then you're absolutely screwed. Exactly. I mean, it's just people are handing over the reins to somebody else. Um, and it's just, it's a mindless bot on Facebook that's censoring it. You can't really negotiate <laughs> with a bot. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're like, yeah. no, please, no. But exactly. You're and, and that's the other thing too. Like Facebook is famously like has no customer service. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I remember, I remember a few years back, my, um, my sister's Facebook account got hacked by ISIS. I don't know if you remember, like two, three years oh. ago, ISIS was like hacking a lot of Facebook accounts and posting like really pro ISIS propaganda. And my sister who works at Google, like, so she's not exactly a complete troglodyte. She tried to contact Facebook and she's like, there's, there's no course of action. There's no. What did she do? What, what she's, happened? She just deleted her account. That was it. She was like, that's it. Deleting my account and never went back on Facebook again. But like, there's no customer service path. So if they shut down your Facebook page and you use your Facebook page as your business line and they shut you down unfairly, like there's no course of action. You, you just, you just have to accept that that's your new reality. You just have to create have to a new profile. Yeah. And build it up again. Wait, and- so, so your sister then, so she, she gets hacked by ISIS, shuts it down. And then all of her friends and family are just, that's all they see is her as an ISIS supporter. And then she's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she just like, yeah, yeah. Deleted the account. <laughs> never done, came back. Never came back. Well, 
Well, Kate, that, Kate that, is not a part of ISIS, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this, I mean, with, with the troubles of, of Facebook uh, and censorship, it does help um, our market at the end of the day to provide that value to, to our customers, whether it's posting on Pegasus, all, you know, all the businesses and listings provided or Artemis Horse Match for, for the sales. It gives people a transition to make our businesses the primary um, and focused onto the solely the equestrian space. So that's, that's more of, you know, a good reason to have people transition to say, if anything goes wrong, what do you do? Nine times out of 10, they don't have an answer. And then there you go. You could say, here's why these two businesses are the, the next, you know, big trend in the equine space. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like, I, you know, we, this is our first, like, conversation really going deep into each other's businesses and stuff, but it's almost like Pegasus is the home for the profiles, the horses, all that information, and then the content curated for whatever you're looking for from a buyer's perspective through Artemis gets sent to the, to the buyer because they're looking at a horse. They want to be matched with the right horse, but I just, I can see our companies integrating really well together based on what they're looking for at that time. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's Artemis's air traffic control. It just goes through and it says, all right, there's horse listings. Um, someone puts in a request and they say, Artemis, go forth and find it. Um, and my software does the work and it says, okay, here it is. List it on Pegasus. Yeah. Click here. How did you come up with the name Artemis? Where's that from? Oh, that's thank you. I, I put so much thought behind the name. I love <laughs> it. So, so it went on to two different avenues. One, domain name, which which was a big thing. And I said, okay, I need a, a solid domain name. Um, also, it was available for trademarking and it just uh, came in actually last month. So I was super excited. So yeah, trademarking and domain nice. name were the two biggest ones. And the reason why I picked Artemis is because when I was picking the industry, I was looking at the customer demographic and I said, okay, who is the main group of people in this space? And it's all women. For the English discipline, when I was making this, I'm like, all right, it's all women. And these women are strong, independent women looking to soar to the next jump and increase the bar as they're, you know, storing through this, through this industry. And I thought, okay, Artemis, she's the, you know, in Greek mythology, she's the very powerful hunter, very powerful um, hunters and a great representation for women all around. And I thought, this is great. This is elegance. This is strength. It's class. And that's why I lean more towards that name because that's the connotation and the brand that Artemis is built around to have quality service, strength, and of course, you know, hopefully legendary status. So we're working. <laughs> so I thank you for that, that question. <laughs> Actually, to that point too, I, I was, I always, I haven't mean to ask you that, but are there other questions too that that you get and like, thank you. I mean, is there, is there something else? <laughs> you can just go ahead and do our job right now. <laughs> like for, for example, I'd say a question that we get put in a context is like, like why, why is the equestrian world so antiquated? And it's like, and you go into, you know, like the websites and like, you know, the, the silos and there's so many things that we can go down the rabbit hole, but it's just like that question that we'll get of like, why is it like this? And then we can just talk for hours. So are, are there questions or do you get that kind of question too? Is like, why historically has the equestrian world been so antiquated? Why, why are people still on Facebook? 
Why aren't people talking together? Why hasn't this existed before? Like, are there any questions like that? They're that like, Gus, this is why Artemis exists. We're trying to help this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, why the horse industry is antiquated? That's a great question because there's no lack of smart people in the space. I mean, everybody is extremely talented and has the capacity to provide these solutions. But the question more so is, you know, do you have the time to do it? This is more of a hobby and, you know, and it's a passion for a lot of these uh, writers and and a lot of them is their livelihood. So it's some people don't have the time to do it, to find this extra space. Additionally, I would imagine that if you were to build a software solution, you know, even 10 years ago, it's radically different in terms of your capital structure to invest and build a solution um, and to see that actually working. Um, so I think from a, why is it antiquated? I think it's more so why are you seeing a wave of technical equine businesses come out or tech equine start emerging. And I think it's because technology is becoming democratized. Information is becoming more available for free on YouTube. So you're having people to pose that question to themselves and say, gosh, you know, I wonder if this pain could end. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> You're like, perhaps. And just, I think that's one of the reasons that's occurring. And since everyone could communicate on Facebook, they could share those, you know, they could vocalize those pain points and, you know, find businesses or build them themselves. So that's, that's the really exciting part with it. So, yeah. Right. Um, so for you, uh, in terms of, um, in terms of Artemis and to try and draw out some of the uh, business lessons here, do you just want to take us through how you actually, um, how you've actually like, cause most people think of like, for most people, you were talking about democratizing technology. For most people, the idea of starting a technology company is so abstract, especially in the equine space, and it seems very, very difficult and hard. So mm-hmm. what has been your journey of how, like, you started Artemis, like, the first week, the first month, the first six months, first year, et cetera? Got it. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fun question. Um, <laughs> so, so starting, right, my background is more of entrepreneurship and looking into addressing a problem Entrepreneurship is basically, you could distill it down to unorthodox business. Like an orthodox business approach would say, here's a tech company um, or a tech idea, hire a development firm, continue. That's fine. Totally reasonable. Um, but when starting Artemis, um, I'm not an equestrian, which is you would think from an entrepreneurial standpoint that that would be a disadvantage. And for the, you know, for the listeners, if, if anyone comes up with an idea and they're like, oh, you know, gosh, I just don't have experience in this. That's a disadvantage. No, that does not seem to be the case at all, um, especially in niche markets like the equine space, where not knowing actually gives you a great lens, more of a beginner's mind type lens. So you start to question more. And when scaling Artemis and talking to clients, the first question they ask, they said, great, love it. Who do you know? The question that they're posing is not who you know. The question is, are you a threat? Are you, are you a competitor? That's what they're really asking. And to say as an entrepreneur that, yeah, Artemis is a neutral third party. We're not affiliated. We're not partial. So consider us like Switzerland. We're air traffic control. We merely want to make sure you have good service. We're friends with nobody. And ironically enough, that makes you friends with everybody. So <laughs> really counterintuitive. So when, when scaling Artemis in the beginning, it was listening to First, the photographers and talking to sale owners, um, sale barn owners, and understanding their pain points. Then to say, what is the behavior that they are currently doing? 
So that way they will adopt it. And it took so much. It took so much time um, when building the initial platform. Um, and just, I think I'd done this already three different times where I made one platform and Artemis was tracking the analytics. And we said, make it better. Um, we're looking, turn it into an application, then turn it into now just horses and then refined it down into, into what it is now as a proactive email service. So in that process, it was definitely like your true entrepreneurial journey to say, what is the data that suggests to move forward? What is the data to suggest to pivot? Anything else beyond that is a guess. I mean, a forecast is a glorified guess and you're just trying to reduce it with as much data as you can, but it is much easier for, you know, when Artemis was scaling is to ask a hundred people, what do they think? Write it down. Then at the end of the hundred people, ask 101 and say, this is the new solution. Do you like it? Would you pay for it? And when you get a yes and say, everything is answered, I'm curious, I'll sign up. Then you have your initial 100 people that you asked as your customer base. Then you go on, what's that site? A vocal video. And then you get your video testimonials already recorded. I just saw it the other day and I was super excited. Um, so you could get these, these video testimonials and then now you could have that as your market. Much better that I found to do it this way to, to build towards the customer rather than hiring a development firm to do the bulk of the work. And that's where my consulting um, with the other companies was. That was the initial approach. But I feel that entrepreneurs, and I've seen it, where entrepreneurs will run into the, their budget constraints, um, like mentioned before, where it's they have a new idea. Like, oh, here's my tech solution. They build it. Okay. Then they go to the customer and the customer says, I want this new feature or there is um, a bug. And if this had this thing, I'll pay for it. So then the entrepreneur is compelled to go in. They schedule a meeting with the developer. They sit down. They look at the UI design. They implement it. A couple of weeks go by and the same thing happens. And then you sign the bill at the end, right? So like that's yeah. important part. So then you sign it and it continues. So, but as a software company, you inherently want to make sure that there's no stumbling blocks and that you maximize the speed in which you could implement change. So I would say that those are learning these skills. And obviously every day is a new, every day is a bug turns into a feature. As, as they say. <laughs> I, was like, oh, oh, I like, love that. It was, yeah. a, it was a caterpillar. Now it's a butterfly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, and it, it's so funny when you, when you're writing um, or you don't have to be that technical with some items, but if, when you're writing code, you look at it and you're like, wow, it works. I don't know why. And then you have to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but um, I would say for entrepreneurs who, who aren't technical, that is okay. Customers don't really care, I found. And it hurts my, it breaks my heart because I put in, you know, we all put in hours into building our tech platform. But at the end of the day, they don't know, right? And then that's, that's okay. Their prerogative is to find the value provided to them. They don't really mind how, right? You go to a supermarket, you go to, you know, Ariat. You don't know how the boots got there. You don't know how the saddles got there. It's only important that it's right there in front of you, ready for sale. So yep. it could take an area a thousand hours, six trucks, and you know, transcontinental. <laughs> no one really minds a, that. A thankless the, job. Exactly. <laughs> I want it there and I want it in my size, or if not, I'm not coming back. I'm going online. Can't believe you don't have it in my size. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how how dare you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but I, I love what you said, which was you had that outside perspective. And so you came in with this childlike curiosity. And so then you can really understand what is needed. Whereas when you are in it, when you're so in it, and it doesn't matter if it's writing or whatever it is, it's hard to really think outside of the box. You know, you're still, or what you actually have a really good, the, the shadow. I, I don't know if I'm butchering it. Uh, there's oh, the a, negative information. Not me. No, there's. Oh no. Oh yeah. No, no. Um, step Jen, outside Jen's, the light. <laughs> I, do you know the, um, it's, I'm it's, a, it's a, it's a famous uh, analogy, but the, it's basically what it comes down to is, is that there is a guy who, um, loses his keys in the dark and he's in a parking lot and he loses his keys in the dark. And there is one, um, there is one overhead light in the entire car park. So he's looking for his keys underneath that light. And someone walks up to him and goes, what, what's, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, I've lost my keys looking for your keys. He goes, Oh, did you lose them here? He's like, I don't know where I lost them, but he's only looking where the light is because that's the light he can see. So the, the, the point being that people, the reason outsiders are so powerful when it comes into a new industry and are able to see things that other people can't see is because the people who are in the industry are looking to, are used to looking where the light is. And so they're looking for solutions within that area where people who come from outside of the industry, they come in and they go, hang on a second, there's a whole car park here. Why are we ignoring the rest of the car park as possible solutions to this problem? Yes, exactly. And then uh, along the same, um, same train of thought, it's entrepreneurs should question the options provided just because there's a solution does not mean the solution is the solution. <laughs> like it, it, yeah. These options should be questioned and always um, reevaluated to see, is it going to accommodate the changing demand for customers online? There's, um, there's actually a really interesting read. Um, it was from the Nobel laureate, the 2001 Nobel laureate by George Akerlof and those two other economists. And he was talking about the, breakdown of information markets and information asymmetry. And the idea being, and by the way, uh, the biggest guys probably obviously heard of Expedia, Zillow, Glassdoor. This was all started by Rich Barton, same guy. And there was a podcast on, on uh, how I built this love, love that podcast. So yeah, in the it. podcast, they were discussing this, this peer review paper, this, this Nobel prize. I'm like, okay, let's consider, let's look into it. I think this would be very helpful for an entrepreneur considering that one has made a whole three publicly traded companies on it. And the idea is pretty much what you're saying is there's an information gap in that, in that, in that analogy where it's you're in the dark and you're only looking to the information you have. That's what's underneath the light. So what Akerlof was suggesting is saying the more information that you give towards a buyer, they will go towards the light. That is the clarity that you're providing to them because sellers inherently have the most amount of light because they know the product as much as possible. And it's actually funny in the paper, they mention exactly used cars um, as an example to, to convey this. So yes, I, I agree. Entrepreneurs need to, when they're in the dark, they need to say, maybe I'll bring my own flashlight and we'll call that my imagination and see where we could light up and find those keys easier instead of. Yeah. yeah. It. yeah. So you, you said earlier, you said earlier that when, um, when you first started out that uh, people were seeing you as a threat. When you say that, so if I, if I, if I interpret that in the context of the horse industry, do you mean that in the sense of you spoke to some trainers, trainers who worked at boarding barns and were used to being the Artemis of the boarding barn, right? Their job is to essentially 
find horses, speak to the bo- the boarders at the boarding barn, and essentially sell the horses onto the boarders. Are they the ones who were seeing you as a threat? Mm, no, I'll probably um, the the correction would be more so that they're hyper defensive. That that was more the the issue that I found is that the equine world from a sales perspective are very hyper defensive. So they didn't see me as a threat at all. Quite the opposite. Once I once any person says, yeah, I'm not affiliated or partial to a brand um, or to a barn, that's what they're concerned with. It seems that the equine industry itself is suffering from siloed information and hyper competitive nature just because of how local it can, it can be. So that was more what I have found that when reaching out towards all these um, you know potential clients and barns that they're hyper, hyper defensive, but they are still looking for a solution. So it's it's a bit tricky for them when they have to trust others. Um, but at the same time, they you need that trust inherently to adopt a new solution. So that's why it's been great for from a technical standpoint, because I'm completely transparent with what Artemis does, who we are. As I mean, you, you could look on some of the biggest listing sites. You won't know who they're owned by. There is, there's rarely an about page and a number that says, hi, this is such and such, call me. Very rare. So, but when talking with these with these clients, they're actually excited to work with Artemis because they're like, oh, fantastic. I know who you are. Um, and I know that you are not a threat or a, you know, a competitor by any means. You're completely neutral. So that's more of the industry seems to be hyper defensive. Right. Yeah. So the reason, it. yeah, because cause like for us, we've kind of had that experience, which is um we are uh, we have had trainers who we've met. And you know, it's 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 the same thing that happens in every single industry. It's just the horse world kind of has been shielded from it by a 15 year delay because it's so far behind in terms of technology. But um we've had some trainers, for example, say to us, like I don't like the idea that you're making it easier for people to find and buy and sell horses because that's my inherent value as the person at the training barn who finds horses overseas or in America and then sells them to the people who board when they're looking for a new horse. That's my utility, which we had a conversation at a dinner table probably about four or five months ago now with a a young woman who was quite defensive about it. and. I explained to her at the time, I'm not sure if she, if it quite resonated with her because she was a bit upset at the time, but I explained to her, I was like, if you think, if you think of it that way, then you're going down the path of the taxi companies and the hotels who like lost out to the Airbnbs of the world. So another way of looking at this, if you look at our service that we provide for finding and selling horses, as well as your service for finding and selling horses, rather than being the individual that fights it and tries to ignore it, embracing it and figuring out how you can use it to scale your business operations. So for example, with something like Artemis, right? You can be a trainer who's limited to your geographic region in your local network, or rather than waiting for your, rather than waiting for the layman who's looking for a horse to go on Artemis and find it, why don't you go on Artemis and you use it almost like a B2B tool? and you post all your horses on it and build a loyal following because people will find like if you for example if you are submitting 10 horses to Artemis every 3 months for example and that's going out to you know 5000 people receiving those emails and they see that 50% of the horses that I receive those emails from are coming from the same seller and that is Jackie Smith who is a trainer based out of you know 
the land Florida, then Jackie Smith's great. Like Jackie has great horses. So now that trainer who would have been limited to the geographic region of Northern Florida in terms of her sales and a distribution network now would have a loyal following all over America of Americans who think Jackie Smith is the best source of horses in the world. So, and that's what, you know, that's what happened with Airbnb. So Airbnb now, hoteliers and stuff were really anti it, but now you'll find that, you know, hoteliers and stuff are like using it as, oh, I can use it. I can put, I can have my own website for my hotel, but I can also post my hotel on Airbnb and use the fact that that is where there are a bunch of people looking. And that gives me a far wider net to actually find and attract customers so that if I fail to fill Saturday night spot this week through my website, I will fill that spot through Airbnb. Ultimately, it ends up with a larger net that I'm dragging along the ocean, gives me more customers, gives me more money in my bank and makes me more successful. So I think for us and a large part of, you know, this podcast and what we're trying to do with Pegasus is we're trying to help a lot of equestrians in the equestrian industry who think like small businesses to start thinking more entrepreneurial and figuring out rather than fighting companies like Pegasus or fighting companies like Artemis as seeing them as like someone who might impinge on your ability to operate or might steal a customer base away from you. Think of it more like how do I utilize these technology platforms to build myself a bigger profile, a bigger brand and widely expand my customer base without having to do a huge amount more work and therefore increasing my sales and making myself a lot more profitable. Versus just competing for the same fish in the one little pond. Yeah. The pond, the pond is now an ocean. Yeah, so, exactly. And exactly as your point with Airbnb, I love Airbnb. <laughs> and because uh, there's just so many cool things on there and the, the user experience is so great. So um, I did notice that too. All these hotels that historically hated Airbnb have now put their hotel you know, rooms, places, et cetera, on the Airbnb platform. So now you just get awareness to them in addition to the other Airbnbs and the traditional listings on there. Yeah. So it's just mutually beneficial. Yeah, I would say the resistance is very small. It's only in the introduction. So maybe I, I overemphasize on it, but the, the, the resistance is only in the beginning when you're just introducing yourself and that that's with anybody, right? Any product, they're going to say, you know, who are you? What's the quality? You know, the same rapport being developed. I find that when there's trainers or any customer really that things in a, in a short term type of way, I agree. It's not the correct approach. The premise is basically analogous to Zillow, right? You could list your house and then the real estate agents, you would think in the beginning would be upset with it. And they're saying, oh, that, that's my money. Or you could think of it just from just a pure quantity point of view, sell one house at a hundred thousand or sell a hundred homes at a thousand. It's still the same. Your, your count is still the same, but you're reaching yeah. a broader audience. So you're, they would be like you're saying, it is a supplement to their existing due diligence process you actually are increasing the pipeline because they're limited towards their time. So if you could say, you know, in, in my case, I had a customer list their you know, mid six figured horse out of Wellington and they're like, okay, um, this is a, a, a product I would like to, you know, a horse I would like to list for, you know, for jumping for next season. Um, and yeah, we're having people get matched to them and they're like, this is great. I don't have to wait online or pretty much go with the existing process as a trainer. They're like, that's easy why would I want to surf on Facebook and comments and having, cause the issue is even when you're on Facebook, when you're getting messages, you don't know, you know, they don't know from which page that came from. Facebook doesn't say, Oh, it came from this page. They have to look, which horse is it? 
Can't, like that's like selling 10 products and you don't have a, a unit idea tied to it. You're just like, who, what product, where are you from? Mm-hmm. What's the context? So those questions have to constantly be answered on the growing list of customers. But yeah, I find that when trainers need to just, you know, when I'm just, just explaining to them, we just say, look, this is actually increasing your customer base. This is giving you more time to spend with your clients. Because if you're spending less time on the computer, you're saving that time and you're putting it in front of your clients, better customer service. You could increase your weekly revenue generated and sell more horses. If that position has been much better of a win for Artemis when we're scaling uh, and just conveying that to saying, would you rather make more money with and spend more time with your clients or would you rather you know sit behind the computer? I like to sit behind the computer and do this. I'm totally content with this. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what I found. It's very analogous to the real estate space. And just look how well Zillow's done. All the real estate agents are using it. They have about nine billion use visits a year. I mean, huge. And most of them are repeat real estate agents. So they they notice that using platforms that aggregate this information to to vet this and to make their job easier. Yeah, that's that's a way better sell. And that's what I found. Adoption, the trainers uh, are seeing it and it's just showing, you know, hey, if you're a trainer, we'll give you the information. No problem. So is it, so is the, so in terms of um, your customer base, do you see the future of Artemis either in the short term, medium term, long term? Do you see the future, the majority of your customer base being direct to customer or do you see it like a B2C or a B2B company? Are you going to be? Are you are you going to be working more closely with trainers, and they would use it as a B two B tool, or are you going to be trying to market Artemis to the average person as a B two C tool? Oh, great question! That one I had a um, when I was building Artemis, I had to look at this chicken and egg problem, kind of like with taxis and Uber that you recommended where Uber is only as good as the count of cars they have, but you won't have, you know, Uber is only as good as the amount of drivers, but the amount of drivers are only as good as the amount of riders, but riders won't go on if you don't have drivers. Yeah. But the beauty of the equine space is that that doesn't exist. A trainer is both the business owner and the consumer. So it's not a chicken and egg problem. They're the same. So you're getting overlaps where you could have the sale barn owners saying, not only as a business am I buying and selling, but personally I have this, so I don't really target from a B2C or a B2B standpoint is that if you're just marketing into the same realm, nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm noticing that's, oh, the emails that are coming in are from a business email, mm-hmm. but they're still operating, you know, it's either run themselves or, you know, a, a, a team of people. But it's interesting that the customer base in the equine space is so interesting. I mean, also no other market have I seen where you know where the customer will be for a fact in two years from now. You could look at the schedule and say, this show will be taking place in 2022 in Wellington. That is insane. Imagine if you're Airbnb and you're like, oh, that information is imperative to the growth of any tech space. And especially for trainers to say, well, this horse is going to be there for sale. And that's why I'm going to sell my horse. It's huge. So yeah. 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 Do you do you envision going into other types of um, services as well? So if you are curating a really customized horse match directly to the buyer, do you also foresee 
having, you know, services and training and other things like that, that the rider, the trainer, et cetera, might be looking to pursue? Not necessarily. The, none of the data suggests that, uh, at least in my case, that that's a, an avenue because there's so much efficiencies that could be created in the horse due diligence process that it would make more sense to focus and specialize onto just the horse listing service. So when it comes to scaling, um, I want to be, Artemis will be able to add more qualified pieces of information to front load. So for example, everyone knows that if you're having a horse and you're a serious buyer for you know a, a good jumper, you're going to ask for vet records. That's just a fact. Any prudent trainer will do that. So you want to have that information front-loaded so that way they can make that decision. And when they're negotiating on price that they're not off by like, I mean, if, if they're going through this whole process and the prices are nowhere close and then you're just wasting time. So I, there's a lot more efficiencies, including adding in vet records, making sure this is talking to the importers and exporters, making sure that we're basically the your flight traffic control. These are horses coming in and out. Send in your your request, and if you get matched, great. You're the first to you know. Everyone will be notified equally. Not one right. group will be notified ahead of time for the other. It would be all at once. Here's the email. If you put it on, great. Rolling basis as as you have it. Um, so those are some of the ways where I could see Artemis continuing. Um, within our emails, we do have this a section down below. Um, where users, especially photographers that we work with, can add their services and say, hey, you know, whether it be um, photographers in Wellington, I was working with um, S. Equine and Evelyn Sitzpachnik and, oh my gosh, yeah, Elegant Equus, they're great. And those are the photographers you would want to put in, in the emails. So that way I, as a buyer, could look at this horse and say, okay, here's the horse, here's the information. Vet record's great. Video here, age and all the information there. And then if I want a photographer, I could click that link. That makes sense. And that's the probably the only stretch I've seen that is what the customers have asked for, mm. because then it's just one more step for them. And so if you could put it in from a vertically integrated um, due diligence process for the solely the buying um, area is great. And then that, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I can see really optimizing the horse buying experience to your point, the importing, the, um, potential insurance, just anything that might come along with horse purchasing through Artemis horse match and not, you know, there's probably tons of opportunity that you can expand into when it comes to the services, like the boarding and the chiropractor and the farrier, et cetera. But it sounds like what you're focusing on at the moment is really creating that seamless, really tailored, a like horse buying experience and not really dabbling, dabbling into the other things that come with horse ownership. Yeah. And it makes sense because yeah. I mean, do one thing and do it very, very right. well. And as far as the equestrian industry goes, the biggest transfer of money happens at the one point of the buying and selling in horses. So yeah. if you are successful in cornering the horse searching and purchasing and due diligence market, um, both domestically and internationally, then that could be a very successful business. Absolutely. Right. And, and if people, um, what I've noticed, I was looking at, you know, aggregators and listings. I mean, I just want to drive traffic to their site. If they already have a list of all these barns on their platform, great. Then I just literally, for a cross promotional standpoint, Artemis says, you know, looking for boarding and try on, click this link, go to Pegasus. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there it is. It's, it's hosted on, on that standpoint. It becomes a how would you call it? A decentralized search engine. You get an email and it's all related to it. Here are the platforms that will find it. That's 
that's where I see it. It's I find when I was working, having all the data sets for me is a bit difficult to handle. Um, so I'd rather focus on just horses, focus on what the customer had told me, um, and I go with that data. So yeah, right. So on that on that line of thought, mm-hmm. what is the what is the um, what is your vision of what Artemis looks like looks like as a future user experience? Oh yeah. So if you if you if, you, if I gave you a hundred million dollars and a thousand engineers and you could build exactly what you wanted right now, what would you build? Ooh, oh my gosh, another great question. If I had a magic, <laughs> effectively a magic wand, um, yeah, I would say target every import exporter for horses and be able to purchase data sets from other companies. Um, that would make sense because as they have all the information aggregated in one silo, it's just a very straightforward cross-promotional plane. So I purchased the data sets, I have that. Now I could move that information you know, to the customers and front load it or work with the actual, you know, whoever owns that data and say, okay, you have the data, you're linking it towards me and I'm linking it back towards you, everybody wins. So it's just more of putting more data into, the, into our war chest, so to speak, for Artemis, as well as marketing. I'd say that would be a good one. Mm. Maybe more servers because the traffic load would go up. And yeah, probably, I mean, in but, a perfect world. But, yeah. but in terms of the user experience, so, oh, rather than expo- so rather than looking at it from the perspective of business, but in terms of like uh, someone sits down in front of a computer and this is what actually happens, what actually happens? Oh, then from a user experience of that much capital, I'll probably make the email list be the lead generation, right? Because effectively that's what it is. Oh, having the horse in your email is a lead magnet. That's how you could ensure that they're going to open the email, right? Comparatively to others, they could say, oh, a horse literally for me. So anyway, they open it up and I would like it to link to a broader platform that shows, all right, here's Artemis Horse Match. When you click this link, it goes to your aggregated list of six or seven horses all in one dashboard. So that way they could look at all the vet records, they could click it. Um, and just have it there. I feel that that could be a an avenue, but again, this is just a guess uh, what would be easier um, for the user. But then again, if they prefer to have it on an email, it may not be anything addition, uh, anything additional beyond that. Maybe have all, maybe just have a more automated email process. But so far, I haven't found any way to distill it further than email and text. That's right. it. <laughs> so, so for you, like. Even if you had all the resources in the world, you're, from what you've learned from talking to your customer base, you believe that the solution to this is ultimately utilizing email because email is the one thing that everyone organically has on their phone already. They already have the app to use it. It's highly personalized. They, mm-hmm. It takes a minimal amount of effort on their behalf. And so you would, rather than trying to turn it into something far bigger, you just want to basically... Provide more provide information, more, more information in yeah. that email for so that they so that people can get to the point that when they get that one email, they trust that this really is the perfect horse for them. And they have all the information they need to decide whether this horse is worth their time to investigate further. And I also have all the tools. It sounds like to be able to make that purchase successfully and more efficiently. Exactly. I mean, even throwing a lot of money in, in you know, in this in, in this um, analogy, um, it would. It, the more I think about it, I mean, you can't really change customer behavior, right? It's really, really difficult. So even if you have, I mean, just look at all the companies that in the, all the tech companies, they make a product and maybe they use it, but sometimes they don't. They're only working towards behavior. 
everybody was on TikTok, and then now YouTube throws in a hundred million dollars to say, guess we're doing short videos now. Like they didn't know yeah. that they didn't make that approach. They didn't say we're going to make, you know, we're going to be the leader in, in, you know, small videos. So it's more of no, for me, it's seeing that customer behavior is a much greater wall. At, and I'm like, it's much easier just to go with their behavior and make it more efficient. Right. Cause you know, the age old saying you can lead a horse to water, but not make it drink. Like, if you can make the platforms, it'll be great. And you know, if I make a service, it's great, but is that their behavior? And if it is fantastic, it'll take off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so what does the next 12 months look like for you? Well, uh, um, so next 12 months, so I guess we'll start off with um, Equitana coming up. So we'll be, we'll be seeing each other there. But the, um, yeah, so we'll be going to, going to the conferences, getting more photographers, probably talking with more sale barns as always, making sure to push more on the marketing online to make sure that more users are understanding that how much of a time save they're getting acquire more testimonials pretty much rinse and repeat most of my most of my actions are automated so like which is great and it keeps myself and my team available to field with actual sales which is great um then i would want to venture more into different breed associations as well because i i believe that they will be able to i would like to get into like the breeding of horses that would be that would make sense I would think because if somebody's looking to have a horse to purchase and they want to breed it, okay, well, now you're just planning ahead. So that's what the customers would like. Um, I think that's the next 12 months is just scaling um, and making sure that everything is working well through emails and refining the matches and just working on the software, working on the algorithm. Are the matches going? Is it, how can we make it more qualified? Um, that's it. It's just, it's kind of like, oh gosh, like every entrepreneur, they're just forging steel with their business. Like (laughs) put it in the fire, you put it on the anvil and you're just forging it again and again. And then you'll get Damascus steel. And there you go. I'm a huge history buff. So that's why (laughs) everything goes down to history. And so that's how I would relate to it. Just get, make one sword and make it perfect. Make it absolutely perfect, but let the customer tell you where to strike the metal. I like that. Mm. And where can our listeners find you? Yeah. So listeners could find me on artemishorsematch.com. They could go on our Instagram as well. Um, but artemishorsematch.com is where customers and listeners could go on and add their horse for free, add as many horses as they want. Um, and they could just list it or they could go and use our service to search. So they could try it out, add in their request and that's it. They just wait. And they have it on their inbox, all gift wrapped and bow tied. <laughs> and, and it's free to it's free to partake as a potential buyer. As a buyer, um, so if someone wants to use it, we charge a small fee because of you know the hours they're saving. Uh, we charge about a hundred dollars for each customer to do a search, which is much better because they have all of the horses in front of them already with the seller's contact information, and they could talk with them directly. Um, and it's free for the sellers so they could list as many as they want. And it's useful because you people who are selling horses are probably in the market to buy. So, I mean, $100 isn't much for um, for most people. So it's great. It's a, been a really reasonable price for the customers that we've had so far. So, yep. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Jen. Really appreciate it. It was great yeah. coming on the Pegasus podcast. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, excited to see you in a few weeks in Lexington. <laughs> Likewise, I can't wait. Fun. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, we'll see you then and um, have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Okay. See you, Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye.